Show glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, care for the poor, to bear good news, build bridges, bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We are starting a brand new series today called We Are Family. Um, Now, we all have a family of some kind, right? Families come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, Maybe a a married couple with young kids or teenagers. Okay, that would be us. Um, Maybe uh, it's a single-parent family, or perhaps you are part of a blended family. You're remarried. Uh, You could be part of a multi-generational family. Again, like us, Christine's parents live with us uh, six months out of the year. There's eight of us under that roof. It gets pretty crowded at times. Uh, Maybe you are an empty nest family. Your kids have grown up and uh, gone and started their own families and careers. Uh, Maybe you live with uh, roommates, and that's your family. Uh, (coughs) Perhaps you are uh, single or widowed or divorced and but you have this really strong support network of friends, and they're like family to you. And we all have this inner circle of um, people that we do life together with. We all have a family, right, of some kind. Uh, so we are made for relationship. This is core to our understanding of who we are as Christians. Uh, shortly after creating the first human beings, uh, the first man, God said, uh, it's not good for the man to be alone, Right? Uh, God intended for families to be the backbone of society. But for Christians, the concept of family goes much, much deeper than that. Yes? Because the church is a family. The family of God. And Jesus is the head of that family. Um, Jesus tells us to call God Father. Right? Uh, We are told that those who trust in Christ earn the right, gain the right sorry, not earn, we gain the right to become uh, children of God. We are to think of one another as brothers and sisters, which is good. Those of you who are new, and if you don't know people's names, you can go up to somebody and just say, hey, brother, right, or sister. And if somebody says that to you, just say, oh, by the way, my name is, you know, because maybe they might have forgot, right? But we can call each other brother and sisters. We are related by blood, the shed blood of Christ In Ephesians 5.25, we read that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. We are family. Healthy families are essential to our well-being. The quality of our family relationships, our interpersonal relationships, literally alter the way that our brains function. Um, There was a study done several years ago, and I I talked about this maybe, I don't know, five years back, um, but... A study was done several years ago with monkeys to measure the effects of relationships on the cortisol um, levels in the brain, which is a hormone that is associated with elevated levels of stress. And so a monkey was put in a cage and exposed to elevated levels of stress, high amounts of psychological stress, loud noises, flashing lights. And they pretty much scared this monkey almost to death. Um, And the monkey was so terrified 
and then they took a baseline measure of the stress hormones in the monkey's brain. Okay? Then they repeated the experiment, and they only changed one variable. They put another monkey in the cage. And uh, the, the, the buddy monkey, okay? Uh, and they exposed <coughs> the monkeys to the same loud noises and the same flashing lights, and then they took a measure of their cortisol levels, and guess what? Their level of stress hormones dropped in half. In half. The lone monkey was only half as good as handling stress as the pair was together. Now imagine if it's not two, but now it's three, now four, now a community. So we have known for a while that the human brain runs on oxygen and glucose. Okay? But now we know that the brain also runs on positive and supportive relationships. Study after study after study reinforced this finding. Brain scans of kids who lacked bonding experiences with their parents. Okay, some of you are thinking, that's me. Right? I didn't really have bonding experiences with my parents. But kids who lacked bonding experiences uh, with their parents as infants especially, show black spots in their brains where neural pathways were supposed to have formed. Our brains need positive relationships in order to grow and function well. If you did not have that, especially as an infant, your brain did not form the way that God intended it to form. So we need these. We need relationships. And don't think that because you're an adult, you don't need them. You need them just as much now as you ever did, right? Now here's the problem. We're human, right? Specifically, we are broken and sinful humans. So what do we do? We screw up our relationships, right? You ever notice that we often treat the people closest to us worse than we would treat a total stranger? to strangers and our boss and our co-workers. We show self-control and good manners, right? But the minute we get home, we, all that goes out the door and the family, we, we bark at our kids, we, we use guilt and shame on our spouses, we fight dirty, we cuss. <coughs> spouses argue with each other, siblings bicker, right? Kids are always bickering. They get irritable and impatient towards their parents. And in the church family, we're often no better, right? The church can be a pretty dysfunctional family sometimes. Um, some of the deepest wounds that people say they've experienced have come from other Christians. There's a saying, there's no hurt like church hurt. And I've experienced that um, firsthand. You know, some of, some of the wounds that I've experienced have come at the hands of of uh, people in my own spiritual family, my own church. It happens. So it's not enough just to have a family. right? We have to learn how to be a family. We have to learn how to be a family. And that takes time and it takes work. And we, have to, we spent the last two series learning about what it means to dwell in God's love and what it means to love Him in return, how to experience life with God. They've been all about our vertical relationship with God. This series is about how we love each other. It's about our horizontal relationships, how we do life with one another. And we're going to talk about relationships. And here's why. Christians ought to be amazing at relationships. Fantastic 
at relationships. Experts at relationships. Why? Because the Christian understanding of God is that God is love. And His love is perfectly expressed in the person and the life and the teachings and the example of Jesus. And that's who we follow, right? So Christians ought to be amazing at loving people. Fantastic at conflict resolution. We should be great listeners. Able to take criticism without getting defensive. We are called to be peacemakers. Slow to anger. Quick to forgive. We ought to be the kinds of people that the world just loves hanging around. Because we are safe. We are safe. The world does not see Christians as safe often. But that's who we should be. We ought to be the least condemning, the most caring people. No drama, no pettiness, completely trustworthy people. But let's face it, right? Many Christians are no better at relationships than anybody else. Um, Aaron, right here. Aaron, we were talking the other day. I can't remember when you said it, in what context. But he said, we're often good at doing the Christian thing. But not always good at doing the Christ-like thing. See, there's a difference, right? The Christian thing is, oh, we go to church, we sing our songs, we do this. The Christ-like thing is how we live, right? So we can be just as quick-tempered and defensive and selfish and impatient and neglectful and petty, even abusive as other people. But none of these words should characterize the people of God. Because God created the church to be a picture and a preview of the coming kingdom. So much has been given to us. So much has been given to us, and therefore, much is expected of us. We are called to do better. Because it's vital to our witness that Jesus is Lord. Because we make this audacious claim that we've been saved and we are being sanctified by God that we have been rescued and redeemed by Christ. We make this claim that we are a new creation, that God is changing us from the inside out because His Spirit lives in us. And that should mean something, right? It should make a difference. So, in this series, we are going to have some very frank discussions about how we treat each other. We're going to talk about how we listen. How, how, how do we listen to each other? How do we listen well? How do we be that safe person that our spouses need, our kids need, our friends and co-workers need? We're going to talk about how to resolve conflict. Everybody fights, right? How do we fight well, right? How do we handle anger? How do we face a crisis together and actually come out stronger? How do we use our words to build each other up instead of tear each other down? And so our hope is that in this series, this series is going to have a tangible impact on the quality of your relationships. That the way that you love the people around you looks a little bit more like the way that Jesus loves. That's where we're going. Okay? So, Christians ought to be the world's leading experts 
at how to do relationships right. Okay? So why aren't we like this? Why don't we have this reputation? Well, first of all, I think it's because we have trouble grasping. We have trouble grasping the full extent of who God is. Who exactly God is. In Ephesians 3, 17, Paul writes this. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. I pray that you can comprehend this, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ And to know this love, the word know is to experience for yourself, not just know up here, but to experience it, that you will know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, our growth as followers of Jesus is entirely, wholly dependent on whether or not we get it whether or not we fully understand the love of Christ. And so that's where we start, right? This is what leads to maturity. This is what we have to grasp if we are going to become good at loving other people. Which brings us to the Trinity. We worship and we follow a triune God. okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that has so many implications for us. Because we are made in the image of this triune God. Tim Keller explains it this way. He says, The Christian teaching of the Trinity is mysterious and cognitively challenging. The doctrine of the Trinity is that God is one God, eternally existent in three persons. And he says, This is not tritheism with three gods who work together in harmony. Neither is it unipersonalism, the notion that sometimes God takes one form and sometimes he takes another. They're just simply different manifestations of one God. Instead, Trinitarianism, and it's mysterious, it's cognitively challenging, as he says, Trinitarian holds that there's one God in three persons who know and love one another. God is not fundamentally more one than he is three, and he is not fundamentally three more than he is one. Right? Theologian um, Cornelius Plantinga says this, The persons within God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, exalt each other, commune, with each other and defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being in constant movement of overture and acceptance. Each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. It's so powerful. It is so deep. God, the Father, glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Spirit glorifies Christ. It's all this amazing mutual act, a dance, if you will, of love. And Tim Keller continues. He says, The Father and the Son and the Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving them. And because the Father, Son... This is so good. Listen to every word of this sentence. Because 
the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. God is infinitely, profoundly happy. Think about it. If you find somebody that you adore, someone for whom you would do anything, and you discover that this person feels the same way about you, does that feel good? Right? It's sublime. And that is what, that is what God has been, enjoy, has been enjoying for all of eternity. Can you imagine? And so if everyone is saying, we, we tend to expect people to kind of orbit around us. This is what it means to be self-centered. You are literally the center, right? And if everybody is like that, everybody's saying, you, you orbit around me. This, is, this world, it's about me. And what happens? Like, what if you have five people? What if you have 10 people? What if you have 100 people? Hundred people all in this room together, or on a stage, they're dancing, and everyone's like, "You orbit around me." No, you orbit around me. And then, nobody moves. Nothing happens. Right? How do you do that? How, how how does society function like that? If we're all demanding, no, you orbit around me. No, you orbit around me. Right? But the Trinity is so different. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence, by mutually self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around him. Each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the others. Now get this. If this is the ultimate reality of the universe, if this is what the God who made the universe is like, then this truth just kind of bristles and explodes with with life-shaping and Glorious implications for all of us. If this world was made by a triune God, then relationships of love are what life is all about. It's what it's all about. And Tim Keller concludes, why would a triune God create a world? If he were a unipersonal God, you might say, well, he created the world so he can have beings who give him worshipful love, and that would give him joy. But here's the thing, the triune God already had that. Already had that. And he had received love within himself in a far purer, more powerful form than we human beings can ever give him. So why would he create us? There's only one answer. He must have created us not to get joy, but to give it. Do you get it? You were created not because God needed somebody to love him. He already experienced that perpetually for all eternity. He created us for one reason, to love us. To give joy. So why do we mess up our relationships? Why don't we love as well as we should, like Jesus, because we still don't fully understand who God is and what sets him apart, what makes him holy. That word literally means set apart. What sets God apart? What makes him special? God did not create us to get joy, but to give it. He did not create us to get love, but to give it. God's very nature is love, and the essence of love is giving. So, you might conclude then, what is Albert saying? Right? That you're saying that the way to happiness 
to have great relationship is to give more. Okay. And to that, I would say, no. That's not what I'm saying. Many of us find our relationships unsatisfying. Some people are takers, right? They just take and they take and they take and ultimately they find themselves alone because who wants to be around somebody like that, right? Okay? Some people are by nature just, they give, they give, they give, they give, they give and ultimately what happens for many of these people is they find themselves exhausted. Exhausted, right? And some people think that they're one, but they're actually the other. They say, oh, I love to give, but you say, you're actually kind of one of those people that take, you know. Sometimes we don't have a very good view of ourselves, right? So are you a taker? Or are you a giver? Do you expect others to orbit around you? Or are you kind of always orbiting around them? And I want to say that neither is healthy. Neither is actually what God intends for us because we are made to orbit around God. Not other people, but around God. We are made to receive God's love and to give others joy out of that abundance, right? In other words, you are not supposed to be a joy taker and you are not supposed to be a joy giver. We are created to be joy conduits. And there's a big difference, right? God is love, and he created us in order to give love to us, and then says, now love each other as my love flows through you. Does that make sense? It doesn't come from you. It comes from God, and it flows through your life if you're willing to allow God to do that. 1 John 4 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, right? And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, dear friends, since God is love, we also ought to love one another. We are joy conduits. We are love conduits. It's not about taking. It's not about giving. It's about flowing with God and allowing God to love through you. Now, with that in mind, God intends to love people through people. I want us to read Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> now we're going to start, this is our opening into our conversation over the next several weeks about relationships. Okay? Ephesians 4. Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling of you have received. What does it mean to live in a manner that, that honors God, that shows that we get it, we understand who he is and what he's done for us? The first thing that Paul says is to be completely humble and gentle. And I love that he begins that way. What is one of the defi defining marks of a Christian? Humility and gentleness. 
humility, and gentleness. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Put up with each other. I know people are hard to love. Put up with each other, right? Bear with one another in love. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the blood of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, the one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and who is over all and through all and in all. You guys are a family. Come on, right? And so the first thing that, that we are told, what does it mean to live a life worthy of Christ? It's in how we treat people. How do you treat the people around you? I mean, you can like be the, the most generous person in the world. Oh, I gave like $2 million to you know, cancer research or something. But you treat people around you like garbage. Right? This is the very first thing that, that we are told. This is what it means to live a life worthy of God. It's how you love other people, how you treat them. And then he says, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended into the very, uh, is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then it goes on to say, it was he, it was Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there's a, a short section in the middle about how we all have to use our gifts within the body to help each other grow. But then he, go, he just keeps on going with relationships. He says, then we'll no longer be infants. We're not going to act like babies. Right? We have to become mature. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does it work? Does its work? If we're all functioning the way we're supposed to within the body, we will all become mature. Have you ever met adults who act like children? Maybe you are an adult that acts like a child sometimes. I do, right? Sometimes Christine will literally say to me, Albert, you're acting like a child, which goes over really well, right? And I go, thank you so much. You know, I, yeah, no, of course I act even more childish, right? Because we get like that. Um, but this is, our, this is God's goal for us, to grow up. Right? Grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. <clears throat> then we go on. Again, back to relationships. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, those who want nothing to do with God. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. Don't be who you used to be. 
You know, sometimes people make excuses and say, well, that's just the way that I am. And Paul cuts right through and he says, put off your old self. That is not the way that you are anymore. You are somebody different. Put off your old self. Which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. You trick yourself. You lie to yourself. You deceive yourself. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Think differently. And to put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now what does holiness look like? What does righteousness look like? When he goes on, he says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood. This is very, very direct. Stop lying to each other. Be honest, right? Speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Why would you hurt yourself, your own body? You are members of one body. Don't lie to each other. Put off falsehood. Have integrity in your anger. Do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. We're going to spend a whole message talking about anger. In your anger, do not sin. One of the things that you're, you're going to hear us say is that it's okay to be angry, but it is not okay to be cruel. And a lot of times in our anger, we become cruel. And that's not okay. Right? It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to be cruel. Do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And we'll talk about what that means. And do not give the devil a foothold. When you rage, you're giving the devil a foothold in your heart, in your life, in your family. You've got to get that under control. Some of us really need anger management classes. we really got to deal with this, right? It's destroying our families. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. But must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk. I have this one highlighted in my Bible. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Your words benefit the people who hear. They walk away and say, wow, I'm so glad that I talked to so-and-so. It really blessed me. I, man, just their words just spoke to my heart, built me up. Or do your words tend to cut people down? Are you sarcastic? Are you cutting? Are you critical? Right? What is the power of your words? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. It doesn't say like, Try to manage your bitterness, right? You just got to keep it under control. He said, get rid of it. Get rid of all of it. All bitterness. Some of us are harboring bitterness against people around us. And it's poisoning the relationship. It's really hard to, to live with someone who's constantly bitter with you. Right? Get rid of that bitterness. Rage. Get rid of rage and anger <coughs> and brawling and slander among, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as Christ God 
forgave you. Okay, we'll stop there. But do you see how much God cares about relationships? And do you see how this is directly connected to God's love for us? Because God loves you, because of who Jesus is, because of what he did for you, therefore live this way. They're directly connected. So as we conclude here, why don't we love as we should? Number one, because we still don't get it. We still do not fully understand God, the full depth of his love for us. And so this is why it is so important that we gather often. This is how we learn what God's love is like. First of all, we have to be in his word together. And we have to come with the intention to grow. Right? There's some people that have a growth mindset and some people that have what's called a fixed mindset. Growth mindset means you're open. means that you feel that you can change and that things, things can, can become better. Fixed mindset are people who say, I'm always going to be like this. The world's always going to be like this. Nothing you can do. Right? And if you're that kind of person, you'll have a very hard time ever growing in any part of your life. Growth mindset. So come with a growth mindset. Come ready to learn. Um, we have to be in the Word. We've we got to be people of prayer, um, all with this goal to, to understand God's love more and then let it change us. Jesus says the truth will set you free, right? And so we have to be people who pursue the truth about God and ourselves. That's the first thing. We don't love the way we should because we still don't understand God's love. Right? So we've got to get together so that we get it. What's the second thing? Second reason we don't love the way that we should is because, quite honestly, we are not putting in the effort. We just don't put forth the effort. We're not working out our salvation, as we're told to do. And so we need to be people who reflect and who strive for holiness. Paul challenges us in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You've got to think differently. You have to rewire your brain. And the, the, the things that you've been telling yourself all this time, often we don't grow because we have this inner voice that just keeps telling us something that's just not true. Right? For example, you know, my spouse is never going to change. She's never going to change, never going to change, never going to change. And that just, there's this, it's like, imagine every time you say that, it's just like digging this, this neural pathway into your brain. Where even now, when they, if they do change, you can't see it. Because you've just got this thing in your mind, right? Be transformed. God changes people. Now, you cannot change your spouse. But you sure can pray, and you sure can hope, and you sure can show by example there's plenty that we can do to help. And there's certainly things that we can do to make people more resistant to change. Okay? But, but what are those internal messages that you have going in your mind and your heart where God says, transform that. Stop thinking that way. Think differently. Right? So we got to put in, that take, takes work. Uh, we got to stop blaming other people. Take responsibility for our own sins, our own baggage. Take a look in the mirror. Get some counseling. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with other people. There's no reason for any excuses. We can get good at relationships. Absolutely. We can become amazing at relationships. All the drama in your life doesn't have to be there. You can learn. You can grow. Right? Second Peter 1 says this. 
His divine power. And I want you to, to sear this in your mind. We've said this before, but sear it. If, if you want to get new language in your brain, renew your mind, get this in your head, right? His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Everything we need. You have everything you need through Christ to change, to be different, to treat one another with love, to overcome your, your anger, your bitterness, your rage. You have everything you need. It's right there. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through what? Through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. For this reason, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, self-control, perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection New mutual affection, love. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Simply this. Come to every sermon in this series. Because this is going to be so incredibly practical and important for your relationships. Come to every sermon. And I want you, I want to urge you to do the work. Do the work. Work on those relationships. Work on yourself, right? We are the family of God. So we've got to commit to being the family of God and make every effort to learn how to treat each other with dignity and love and respect. And my hope is that you are filled with the same joy that God has experienced for all eternity because he's in perfect relationship within himself. And he desires that with us. He desires that we have it with each other. And again, you know, we are broken and sinful people. It'll be a struggle. But I do believe that you can be better at relationships tomorrow than you are today. I believe that. You get better and better and better and better. And some of you have told me some amazing stories. David and Jennifer, you guys were telling uh, some of us the other day, like some of your story. And I know you don't mind me, because that's part of who you are publicly. Um, but you know, you can get better at relationships, can't you? You know that from experience. That's what we want, right? Let's get better. Let's get really, really good. Let's get so good that people say, tell me about your Jesus. Yeah? Let's pray. God, a lot of us are dissatisfied with our relationships. Honestly, I know I am. I know there's some relationships that really need work, really need repair. I've got some bitterness in my life. Sometimes I fly off the handle and get angry. But I don't want to stay that way. And you don't want me to stay that way. You don't want any of us to stay that way. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to put in the work. Help us to grasp the full implications of your love for us. That's where it starts. We understand how you love that frees us to love each other. I do a lot of counseling. All of our pastors do. We do a lot of counseling. I'd say like 90% of it is about relationship problems. 
We're not good at it. But we can be. So Lord, help us, help us, help us, help us. We can't do it without you. Let's get this right. You're going to do it for us, Lord. We thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.